Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Ballers! Welcome back to another episode of Today in Sports Betting. This is a special Monday evening presentation of Today in Sports Betting, and we have a fantastic guest on the show today. Before we introduce him and get started, just want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at manscaped.com. They have new and improved lawnmower 3.0, and you always hear me talk about it. Their water resistant technology is fantastic. Go pick one up. Go to manscaped.com. Type in the promo code HOOPBALL20. That's H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping. Uh, guys, we have a, another great guest on the show today. He hails from, I mean, this is how I, I know of him. He comes from the, from the, uh, the network, VEASAN, Vegas Stats and Information Network. Uh, Jonathan Von Tobel, how are you, buddy? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing good, man. Thank you very much. You know, it's Monday, so we had football today, and you know the NFL's back in action. We have all these playoffs, NHL basketball, uh, baseball still going on. So it's it's doing pretty well, right, in the world of sports. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we got we got football on right now as we're recording. Uh, second half just kicked off, tie game between the Raiders and the Saints. Uh, you know, you see me wearing my Circa Millions two hat, so yeah. I got the Raiders tonight. So hopefully they can cover and I can improve my, uh, my record here in the contest. What was the, uh, what was the number for the, the contest? Uh, both, I'm both in the Westgate Super Contest and the Circa. I believe it was five and a half, I want to say. Oh, that's a good number. I mean, that came crashing down today, man. Some people got to, uh, you sure know, Westgate did. went to three and a half. It was insane watching that number go down. Sure did. I, I hit it at five and a half. I hit it at five and I put some more money down before the game at plus four. It didn't look so good to start the game, but. Uh, the Raiders are driving the ball. Hopefully, take the lead here. So that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, they um, offensively, you're right because I thought they they missed rugs on a big play downfield. Derek Carr didn't really look too good. Took a couple of bad sacks, but that turnover by Breeze was awful. We got you guys right back in it. Horrible! What a horrible <laughs> turnover that was at the uh, end of the second half there. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, listen, I'll take what I can get. Right when when you're betting. Yep. Sometimes uh, the bad plays go against you, and you remember the bad beats more than you remember the things that help you out. So uh, hopefully, I'll remember this one. Yep. Oh, you will. That'll be that'll live for you, especially if it helps you out in the contest. Yeah, exactly. All right, John. So I uh, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts. I had some questions for you before maybe we jump into some, you know, some series prices and some maybe some lines for tomorrow for the NBA. If you, if y'all don't know who John is, he is great with the NBA. Uh, that's how I got introduced to him. Used to listen to him a ton uh, when I was a single guy and just kind of driving back and forth from playing poker and going to work and just had a lot of time to listen to him. He's fantastic. So if you don't follow him, you definitely got to check him out. 
So, John, I know you've had a lot of great success with the NBA. You know, what was it that kind of got your start with the NBA? Did it have a direct correlation to sports betting? Were you a sports better first and then an NBA specialist later? Or were you, did you grow up with the sport? Did you grow up playing ball? And then you kind of saw the game and you were an analytics guy and you just kind of started sports betting. So I, I, it kind of all came at once. I mean, I've always been like a basketball fan, right? Like growing up, you know, watching the league and especially in my like later formative years, right? Like teenage years, you really get into it a little bit more. And as you get older, so like I've always enjoyed the sport of basketball and I've always enjoyed betting, you know, always throwing in parlay cards when you were a little bit younger over at the Red Rock and, you know, getting there, sitting there thinking like, oh man, my five teamer would have hit if that one team. So <laughs> it kind of, it kind of came together. But as far as like kind of really diving headfirst into being like NBA is the specialty, you know, I get, I kind of just saw Mark didn't really have a lot. You know, you, you talk to people about the NBA, uh, and I think the first thing when it comes to the NBA and betting, when you talk to certain people, it's, uh, that's impossible. The regular season's impossible. You can't bet NBA on a night-to-night basis. And that was kind of the motivation for me because I really enjoyed the sport. You know, I watched it on, in the regular season a little bit more than the average person. And so I thought, you know, this is a pretty good idea now that I'm with VSIN. Uh, to carve this uh, kind of niche out here and to start giving this league the coverage that I think one, it deserves, and two, you know, to show that if you dive in enough, if you pay attention enough, you can have success in the regular season. It's not just a postseason betting sport. And uh, hopefully, you know, the coverage that's come across like that as well in the time that I've been doing it for the last few years. So that's really what led to me doing it is I just felt that it was a market that was uh, kind of untapped. And I think that's a little rare, right? In today's world, where almost everything, like no matter what it is from video games to sports to cooking, whatever, it's hard to find a niche that I that you feel is relatively untapped and I thought like NBA betting especially in the regular season was one of those and that's why I kind of went into it full bore that's amazing and you know I had uh, Gil Alexander on the show another uh, cohort of yours over at VEASAN and we talked at length about NBA betting and how how really it really is almost impossible to to predict the outcomes the line seems so tight most of the time And, you know, it's such a game of runs. You know, I've made a lot of my money sports betting the NBA in game. Uh, You know, I grew up playing basketball, X's and O's guy. And I'm also, you know, financial savvy. You know, I I, before uh, I got into doing this podcast, I, I was and still work in the financial services industry. So big on the numbers and things like that. But I also feel like when you watch a game, you can kind of see the types of, you know, the different types of shot attempts that players are taking teams are taking the types of defenses that are out there, you know, on a night to night basis. What are your overall thoughts between, you know, between pre-flop betting the NBA and in-game wagering? Do you think that there's a big edge in in in-game wagering that really, I don't think a lot of people take advantage of still in 2020. I would say when it comes to in-game wagering, 100%. And the market's growing, as we know, when you talk to bookmakers and how how much more popular it's becoming. Um, But especially in just the game of basketball itself, right? Both in college, there's not as many runs in the NBA, uh, but the NBA seems to be a sport that is set up perfectly for in-game wagering because these lines move, you know, for a a bucket by bucket. It's incredible to watch and these algorithms will move it uh, for every single basket that is scored. And I've always found that interesting from that perspective uh, that, uh, you know, you allow these algorithms rhythms to move as much as they do can you know considering what we know about the nba as a sport when it comes to in game so i would totally agree with that and you know i to tie in the pre-flop stuff i do bet a lot of nba games pre-flop but there's also a lot of great opportunities you know betting pre-flop and then going in game while you're watching them you know one of the best examples i was actually during the nba bubble but there was a like a spurs Celtics, or excuse me a spurs um a pelicans game for example and the spurs were catching three and a half points in that game and 
According to my numbers, I actually thought the Spurs should have been favored. So I took three half of the Spurs. They actually built up a 20-point lead over the Pelicans. And then you go in-game and you take a 13-and-a-half with the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're set up with a plus three-and-a-half on one side and a plus 13-and-a-half on the other side. The game falls on 10 and you're set up very well. So I, I think especially when it comes to pre-flop, like a lot of the times you don't want to necessarily solely involve yourself pre-flop. I do probably a little bit more than I should, but I do have a lot of faith in my numbers and it's worked out a lot. Um, but using it as a tool to then go forward in the game and then have that barometer where you can set yourself up with nice middles where you can hit both ends. It's extremely important, but I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And that's why I go back to the whole thing like the NBA is impossible. If you have the opportunity to sit down and watch a nightly you know, game on a night-to-night basis, it's not because you can set yourself up whether it's side or total with a lot of these in-game lines. Yeah, I mean, I got the computer going. I got the iPad going. I yeah. got the TV going. I got four or five games on. I don't even know what's going on, but I'm trying to pay attention as much as I can so I can see if there's an opportunity. And, and it comes back to your point. Like, it's 2020. How are these algorithms not adjusting for the fact that the NBA is a game of runs? Like, with, especially with, like, the Lakers-Rocket series uh, recently, I made so much money betting – the Rockets at like plus 18, plus 17, you know, and, and then taking the other side, if the Lakers were down, I would take the Lakers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, I agree with you. You have to have conviction before the game for sure. Like I will look at the card prior to tip off and I will say, okay, out of the seven games tonight, I like these three matchups and I like these three sides and I like this one total. And if I can find a better number in game, I mean, I'm just going to hammer it. So I just I don't understand what they're doing exactly with the algorithms, but I feel like they're going to adjust. But right now, I feel like it's it's ripe for the taking still, and I'm just gonna keep you know keep keep betting it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And look, like like games, you know, like like football, for example. You know, obviously the game is not as extreme in terms of the swings and the scoring, so you're not gonna see that with the line. But with college, with basketball in general, I shouldn't say college basketball, but with basketball. Like that game is, like you mentioned, it's a cliche. It is a game of runs. And so to know that going into it and yet to still see, like you said, like an algorithm where, you know, a six and a half point favorite will open up like a 6.7 point lead or something like that. And it'll bump it up to like, you know, eight and a half, something like that. That's a small example, but it's still, it's amazing to me where I'm like, well, this team's favored by six and a half. Like they're up by six. Like, yeah, of course, like, you know what I mean? Should you be bumping it up this much? And certain things like that, like you see it all the time. And there's certain books uh, like the South Point, for example, I know they do their in-game wagering uh, themselves as opposed to you know dealing with an algorithm and maybe they have a little bit better feel for it but I know that they don't offer in-game wagering as much on NBA stuff as they do like more on like primetime games or you know big postseason games NBA finals so that's the trade-off there but I would agree with you know I'm I'm really curious to see as the years go forward uh, if these algorithms do adjust to what the NBA is or it just continues to be you know out there and they think that you know, it's a small market, it's a niche market, and we're not going to lose that much because the only really smart guys are paying attention to this sort of stuff, and we won't get killed too much on this because it's not something that the general public has really caught up to yet. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I feel like, yeah, the general public's definitely not in-game wagering. I mean, they're not even – they're just placing their bet, and they're, you know, going out to dinner with their wife and coming home, and it's like, you know, fourth quarter. Oh, I'll turn the game on. I got 200 bucks on it, right? Right. So, I mean, tonight's a good example too, by the way, right? The Monday night game with the Raiders. Like – you know, people were coming into town. They just wanted to check out Las Vegas and check out the outside of the stadium. They were betting the Raiders today at, you know, four and a half, uh, four, three and a half. Like, they don't really care, right? They don't care about numbers. They just want to bet on their side. So I think that speaks to the general public. And the public's getting smarter in general, but, you know, that's just how, where it is right now. They just want to bet on their team and they want to sit back and see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, the number in Vegas must be a lot lower offshore than offshore regarding the Las Vegas Raiders tonight. I mean, uh, I don't know what the closing line was in Vegas at all, but – 
I can't imagine it was the same as, you know, far in far away places, like even legal sports books, like DK and FanDuel. Right. I don't, there's no way that that number could have been the same, you know, I mean, I, I don't, the, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was oh, going to say, I saw the Westgate close at three and a half or got to three and a half. I'm not sure if they closed three and a half, but that was like 20 minutes before kickoff. And then there was fours across the board uh, pretty much everywhere else in Nevada, I should say. Right. Right. I mean, I know, I know Musburger is very, you know, very sharp and he's all about the Raiders this year. So, uh, you know, if you have conviction on a team, it's it's like, if you have a conviction on a team and you think that the number is going to get deflated or inflated one way, you need to wait. Right. I mean, we saw that we see it all the time. Um, let me ask you a side question regarding your NBA analysis. Are you more of a sides guy or a totals guy? Uh, I'm I'm more of a sides guy. You know, it's, I, I, it's funny because I really, really like numbers. Uh, a lot. Like, you know, I love the analytical aspect of the NBA. I love that you can track so much about it. Uh, but as far as my handicapping goes, you know, to be quite frank, I do struggle with totals. Like I just, it's something that I just don't really have a very good feel for. And sometimes you can't just keep being a dead horse, right? Especially when you're that dead horse Yeah. Uh, because I just lose money when it comes to totals. So, you know, I have things on the side where I'll, I'll, I'll have like, I'll keep track of totals. I would like and where I would play them and what I'm looking for. Uh, but the returns just haven't been there for me, even just not betting them, just tracking what I would be doing, right, if I was betting them. Uh, so for right now, I'm, I'm really exclusively a sides player as it stands. Gotcha. I hear you. I mean, I listen, I have my own little NBA model. I wouldn't say it's probably the best in the world, but at least yeah. it gives me the numbers aspect. And I watch pretty much almost every game. And if not, I'll try to watch highlights on YouTube. So that kind of leads me in the right direction where – I can kind of see both teams and then I can make a decision based on my number. So I totally agree with you. I'm a numbers guy as well. Um, I have a question in regards to VEASAN. So how did you get started with the company and did you just come straight in guns blazing host or, you know, I'm a little unfamiliar with your story. So maybe you can, you know, a lot of, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners on the podcast aren't too familiar with you or VEASAN, you know, you know, as we get more guests on. So I'd love to hear your story regarding how you got started in the industry and how you got started with VEASAN in particular. So uh, I, I went to school for media journalism studies out here at the College of Southern Nevada. And, and uh, my first job in media was with ESPN 1100, um, the local ESPN affiliate in Las Vegas. And uh, there, my first job as an actual full-fledged producer was with Matt Humans on the Las Vegas Sports Line. It was Love Matt player. Humans. Big fan yeah. of Matt Humans. So I've known Humans for a while. You know, um, he was essentially the first host that I produced it for. Um, and so I, I built my relationship with Humans. We've we've known each other for a very long time, at least you know in my scope, for like a very long time, right? Um, for the last, I'd say, seven to eight years or so. Um, and so that's how I started in media and humans eventually got signed on and uh, moved on to the Vegas stats and information network. And they needed producers. They needed on air producers. They needed people who could do updates and work behind the scenes. And so humans, of course, moving on, knowing me, um, put me in front of Brian Musburger and, you know, they took me on and signed me on and I was Brent Musburger's producer on my first job over at Visa. So I was wow. Brent's producer for my guys in the my desert. guys in the desert. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I was their first on air producer and I, I really helped a, a lot behind the scenes, you know, to um, like in terms of like production and getting us off the ground and formulating shows and things like that. So that's how I started with Visa. And I was really a lot of behind the scenes and helping them get off the ground from a production standpoint. Uh, and then once we got off the ground and programming started to expand and personnel started to change, there was an opening and 
my, my show was actually just a fill-in. They, it was kind of an emergency fill-in spot, and they needed me to hop on. It was during March Madness, and you know I covered UNLV basketball in my time at ESPN 1100, and I knew college hoops very well. And so I hopped on in that regard, and I guess I did enough. And from there on, you know, I was a host. And at first, I was hosting with humans, and then eventually, when everything happened with COVID and, and changing things up with our lineup, uh, it eventually led to giving me my, my own show over on the edge. So uh, it was kind of a you know kind of a weird, cliched path, though. You know, like start as a producer, work your way up, board up, all that kind of stuff, and you know now here we are. Yeah, I mean, I'm still aiming to be I'm still aiming to be Gill's number ten producer at some point in right. the future. So. Hopefully uh, he'll he'll find a spot for me when it gets to double digits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, sir, I just want to circle back with the NBA. Um, you know what makes the NBA the like? I know you said it was a niche market where everyone said it was impossible to bet on, and you kind of just were like, "No, I got this. I want to I want to conquer this market, right?" But is it is it your favorite sport to bet on also like in terms of watching the sport and or you know do you lean do you lean to another sport like the NFL or you know hockey or MLB or anything like that so I, I grew up, I think, as most American kids do, like as a real big football fan, you know what I mean? Like loved the National Football League, you know, uh, like when I was like six and Kurt Warner and the Rams were playing, I remember my dad would like making like Super Bowl cookie, like sugar cookies and all that stuff because I was so excited to sit down and watch the Rams play. I was a big Kurt Warner fan. Uh, so like uh, when I grew up and all the way through, uh, primarily it was like football, really enjoyed football. Uh, and then the NBA love started to come around and then baseball started to come around. But as far as like right now, uh, where, where I'm at with my really like my loyalties, I, I really enjoy the NBA. Like I would put the NBA ahead of football uh, right now. And I would, I would really love for it to be my full-time job, at least in terms of covering the NBA for VSIN, you know, being on the edge and uh, having all this stuff going on. You can't just have a two hour centric NBA show. And, right. you know, obviously it is kind of a niche market, so you can't focus entirely on it. But if we're rating it by like, which one I like to bet most, which one I like to view the most, you know, I love to bet on football, but if I'm picking just one of them, you know, I really do enjoy the NBA. I think they have the best athletes in the world. I think the game is fun. You know, a lot of these games, uh, they can be very enjoyable in terms of higher scoring since people like that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think it's just a visually a pleasing game as well. And, you know, there's some edges to be had in it as well. That's also helped. So I think overall, like right now, as I've gotten older and more mature, like five years ago, six years ago, I'd probably rank the NFL just ahead of the NBA. Uh, but right now, like over the last, I'd say three, four years, uh, it has definitely taken like center, like center for me, center stage, because I really do enjoy the sport. Interesting. Um, so speaking of the NFL, what were your biggest takeaways from week number two or even week number one, if you, if you, or just in general of the COVID situation, the bubble, no fans in the stands, offense is scoring at such a high pace and at such a high rate. Um, wh what are your biggest takeaways here so far in the NFL season? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Yeah, I think right now, uh, I think to focus on the offenses first, like I think you're starting, you're seeing that some of these offenses, for the most part, that had some returning personnel and some continuity, whether it was coordinator or head coach, you know, they're kind of finding a relatively, I don't call it seamless, but they're kind of still churning along, right? The Baltimore Ravens being the the greatest example of that uh, so far through the first two weeks have looked pretty smooth offensively. Uh, They have really not lost a step whatsoever. Uh, Even in their first, even in both of those games too, they didn't have like perfect games, right? The first game, their running attack wasn't that great, under four yards per carry. The second game, the passing attack wasn't quite there for them, but they ran the ball extremely well. So it's not without its hiccups. But I think you're seeing with some of these teams that if you had some returning personnel, if you had some guys, uh, right, that were there already in terms of the staff, the seam, it was kind of a seamless transition. The other part of it, though, is uh, certain aspects like the Browns, right, who are breaking in a new staff. The first game was not very comfortable for them. But then the second game, another practice, you know, the practices under the belt, an actual game under the belt, you look a little bit better. And you're breaking in a whole new coaching staff with a new coordinator. And I think that's kind of my first takeaway is it seems like some of these teams that had some continuity and some just calmness with their roster uh, and move forward. And I would say it's the same with defenses, too. Look at it like the Minnesota Vikings, you know, they lost a lot of personnel defensively over in the offseason, whether it was through free agency, you know, it comes to key guys that they signed to the offseason opted out. Uh, but that's really tough to turn that around in an offseason where you didn't get a lot of practice together, especially on the field when it came to the preseason. And through two games, it has really showed the offseason, I think, hurt and all the offseason losses hurt the Minnesota Vikings. So I think really, if you had like kind of a steady hand in terms of guiding the team, it seems like those teams have kind of gotten off to a better start to the first two weeks than we have seen some of these teams with these roster turnarounds or head coaching turnarounds. It's a really good point. I, I, I didn't really think about it like that, but you make a really good point. A lot of these teams that have their core that have stuck together have looked really good. Even as example with the offense and the saints, they look really good. They still look good. Even though Drew Brees doesn't, quite look you know the same mm-hmm. they're still they still under you know the same coaching staff the same core Latavius Murray Camara Breeze Thomas even though he's out tonight Traquan Smith even with the Raiders I mean that's I mean you see their offense is just plugging along I mean they got the same guys Carr and Jacobs that you know Darren Waller they got the core guys who you know been there together and that's a really really good point so thank you for that M- yeah. Mike Palm said on Friday his biggest takeaway from week one was how bad the refereeing was. That was his – and, you know, Mike Palm, he's, he's very big into that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of – like, there was some pretty bad moments for the most part overall. None of it really stick out to me 
like initially in terms of the officiating, but uh, I would say like officiating overall just needs to improve. Some of these guys, like it's funny with the NFL, they seem to, this is just like a, a partial observation. I don't have any stats behind this. They seem to have the, the collection of the oldest officials in the, in all of the major sports. I think the NBA is kind of up there as well, but uh, when it comes to the NFL, and I know that there's one guy who actually started this year, his first year as an NFL referee, but the referees seem to be on the older side in the national football league more often than not than all the other sports. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they got to get better eyes because the officiating, yeah. I mean, the officiating has been horrendous, but I could say the same thing about basketball too, but I just think that the officiating needs to get better all around. Anyways, let's move on to NBA. We got the guru himself on the show, right? So we got to ask you, what do you think about these series? Uh, first of all, Anthony Davis hitting the game winning shot last night. Fantastic. Unbelievable. I'm from Los Angeles. I mean, I currently live in Miami, but I'm from Los Angeles. Grew up a big Kobe fan, obviously. I'm not yeah. too – I don't really have a team I root for. I've just never been that guy. I've really just been always focused on sports betting and fantasy ever, even as far back as I can remember in high school. You know, um, so I've never really had a team team, but, you know, just seeing that shot last night reminded me of kind of the Shaq and Kobe years and it was a lot of fun. So any takeaways from the uh, let's start with the Denver Lakers series. It's two zero now. Any thoughts here on this series? And do you think the Nuggets even have a chance to make a, a, a comeback here? So I would say from like an overall series perspective, if we're asking like if the Nuggets have a shot of coming back and winning the series, I would probably say no, right? Like I, I felt like the Nuggets were going to lose this series in about six games, and I would kind of stick to it right now, although I did think that they, they had a really good shot, obviously, at winning in game two, and I thought that was going to be the opportunity to steal one. Uh, but I think overall, if we're looking at it, you know, it, it's interesting. We were talking about this on our show before the series started, uh, but just the number itself, right, in terms of these games. Uh, and if you go back to the regular season, the Los Angeles Lakers against the Nuggets in the regular season, they were three and one. They'd won three out of four. They were very, they were good against them from a straight up result. Uh, however, against the spread, they were only two and two. And then you get into the actual results themselves. And, you know, the one loss by the Lakers was a double digit loss to the Nuggets. Uh, they also had a double digit win over the Nuggets. And then the other two were by single score deficits, right? Uh, in the bubble, it was a three point game. And in the regular season, it was an overtime contest, which I believe ended as a three or four point game as well. Uh, and these have been just some tightly played games. And even more fascinating, was the fact that in those four games, despite the fact that the Lakers were three and one against the Nuggets, they actually had a negative net rating of 3.2. So they, like, even if you go to it from like that perspective, the Nuggets, if you put it over 100 possessions, were outscoring them by 3.2 points every 100 possessions, despite the fact that they were one and three against them. So it, to me, it just told me like this is going to be a tightly contested series just on a game to game basis. And then you even look at the point spreads throughout the regular season, right? The first game, the Nuggets were a two and a half point favorite. The next game, it was a Lakers two and a half. The game after that, it was a three point spread. And then you got to the bubble and and it popped up to a five-and-a-half-point spread. But again, the Nuggets covering that matchup because they only lost by three. And what I found interesting was then you get to game one, and game one, seven-and-a-half. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I feel like that's kind of high, given what we have seen between these two teams, even as recently as in Orlando in the bubble. Um, and so I bet game one, Nuggets plus seven-and-a-half. Ultimately, they lose and don't cover. However, they were really good in the first half. And I think I undervalued – the coming back from a seven or a three, one deficit for a second consecutive series. Right. Yeah. Like that was nuts. And so I think I undervalued that because my thinking going into game one was, well, in the first series, when they came back from three, one against Utah, they only had one day off and then they had to go play game one and they got blown out by the Clippers and didn't cover this time. They had two days off. Well, it didn't really work out. Right. They, (laughs) They came out in the first half. They were pretty strong, but then they ultimately faded out. 
but I was kind of stubborn. So I came back in game two and I was like, I'm going to take seven and a half again. Like I, I think this number is too high. We have seen before, again, going back to all those point spreads I mentioned, I'm still going to be stubborn here and I'm going to take seven and a half. Lo and behold, right? They lose at the buzzer. They cover seven and a half. Now we're seeing six and a half uh, for this next game. And I think I'm going to be stubborn again here and take six and a half until this gets to about five and a half pre-flop. I think that's where this number probably should be, you know, because I always ask myself the question I always ask myself when I look at numbers and if they're different is what changed, right? And, and what changed? And in game one, clearly there was a change, right? They were coming off of a massive emotional win, a big comeback series victory. Like that's a big change. And then you go to game two and I'm like, well, there's still no change here. Like I still think this is the same teams. And so now we're starting to see this number come back closer to where I think it should be. So I think that's my main, like my main observation here is I feel a little emboldened by the fact that in game two, that was more of the series I envisioned. You know what I mean? A tough series, a Nuggets team that matched up relatively well with the Los Angeles Lakers and that to fight them tooth and nail almost every single night. And they might lose in five or six games, but those five or six games, really a lot of hell for the Los Angeles Lakers and, and three through two games, right? The first game they covered, excuse me, the first game they lost, but it was a very tight first half. And then in the second game, ultimately losing at the buzzer. So I feel a little emboldened, you know, uh, by game two and at least my observations going into the series. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the Nuggets match up really well against the Lakers. I yeah. completely agree. So I think that, that you're right on the money, like until this number comes down and it, it has come down, like you said, it's at six and a half now for game uh, three. But yeah, until it comes down, I might be betting the Nuggets as well and might be looking for a live line if the Lakers can pull out to a 21 to 12 lead early in the first quarter or something like that. Maybe come back with the Nuggets at plus 10 and a half. You know, yep. uh, you can't, can't, uh, can't hurt to take the Nuggets at double digits. You know, they, they have so many playmakers. And, you know, if, if Porter Jr. can get going and Gary Harris can ever, you know, have a solid game, which he did. Um, but, you know, it seems like he's finally starting to get going. Um, I think, I think it's a good spot for the Nuggets. Moving on, we got another great series. I bet this pre-flop, and I'm a little nervous right now, I bet the Boston Celtics to win the series pre-flop, minus 125. I just thought with their perimeter defense, and their, I think they're a little bit more athletic. Uh, I think they're better you know, shoot, you know, not, not necessarily shooting the ball, but maybe creating their own shots rather yeah. than these uh, – you know, three-pointers by Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, etc. I bet the Celtics, and now I find myself down 2-0 to zero and nervous, and they finally pull out a victory uh, over the weekend. What are your thoughts for game number four, and what are your thoughts moving forward in this series? So for, for the series, I actually, so I'm invested in Miami. I, I bet them in December to win the title at 80 to one. So I'm, I'm really pulling for Miami in this spot to kind of pull this series out. And when you look at it from a matchup perspective, I, I would completely agree with you. Like Miami, I think if we're differentiating between the two, I think Miami is the better ball movement team, right? And that's how they create their open looks as opposed to Boston, who I think has two, three, four guys who can create their own looks. And that's how you kind of change up offensively. And I think that's what you saw in the first two games was that Boston at times, their offense would get a little stagnant for multiple reasons. One is sometimes when they're looking for shots, they tend to get a little ISO heavy, right? It's give it to Tatum, give it to Brown, give it to Kemba and let them work a little bit and maybe set a screen here or there. But for the most part, we'll, we'll let them work by themselves. And that's worked from time to time. But what Miami did was, okay, well, then we're going to throw out a 3-2 zone and we're going to see if you can beat that. And that really bothered Boston. It bothered sure them did. in the series. Right. And like, if you looked at some of the numbers too, and I haven't seen them updated after the last game since Hayward's come back as well. Um, but in the series, right, with um, Toronto, they only averaged 0.77 points per possession against the zone. 
in the whole seven-game series. In the first two games against Miami, they were only averaging 0.85 points per possession against the zone. So, like, it was just really, really bothering them from that standpoint. And so that's how Miami counteracted that, and that was a big reason why they went up 2 nothing in the series. Uh, but to me, again, going back to the question I always ask, you know, what changed, you know, Gordon Hayward comes back. And I don't think it's really a difference here that, like, you see this change for the Boston Celtics, and then all of a sudden they have their highest assist total of the series, right, the last time we see them. And so, like, this is going to be a difference for them going forward is can the ball move and get a little bit better? Can you actually start to move it around and get multiple touches on a possession to get open looks for some of your guys? And can you start to beat this zone a little bit more than you have? And I think that's, like, the really intriguing piece about this is, you know, as – through two games right now, the Boston Celtics have seen this the zone for 10 games now, Toronto and then Miami. And Miami, by the way, ran zone more than any other NBA team in the regular season. So they're really good at playing it. But at some point as a team in a seven-game series, if you're facing the same defense in the same zone over and over again, at some point you're going to be able to figure that out. And I worry if have they figured that out after game three, right? As somebody who's invested in Miami, has Boston figured that out after game three here and is now set in a good position where they're getting healthier and they understand the defense that they're facing and that they had their struggles against? Well, now we've seen it for 10 consecutive games and we can understand what we do from it, well, do against it from an offensive standpoint. Well, if you look at the game, the third game, I think it was Friday night, right? Um, if you watch yeah. that game, if you watch that game. Time melts together. <laughs> yeah, right. Every day seems like it's the same because there's sports yep. all day long and three different, four different sports going on. But, uh, you know, if you watch that game, Miami went to the zone. I believe it was in the second quarter and they made a nice little comeback and then they went away from the zone and then kind yep. of Boston pulled away. I don't understand what Spolish is thinking there. Why, why move away from the zone when it really helped propel your offense and your defense like can you do you understand did you understand why he moved away from that I actually I really don't you know because they like you said like these the these these heat teams uh, have had like these big explosive quarters right especially against Boston and a big reason why has been those have been quarters where they heavily rely on that zone and I I just I don't know because if you look at some of the minutes like when they're in man-to-man defense they are getting beat up pretty bad like going back to what we were talking about right individual talent the individual shot creation is so much better for Boston and that's why the zone helps so much I was really curious as to why they moved away from it and I would assume that maybe that means that we're going to see more of them in the next game uh, but I do wonder too if maybe Spolster started to see that all right maybe they're out maybe they are starting to figure this out let's switch this up let's go back to man and I think the key difference I think Spolstra is an amazing coach he is I agree with you I agree with NBA. you yeah I agree um, but the, the difference, I think, between him and Nurse, Nick Nurse, what he would do defensively, and especially with some of his own, it wasn't just the same 3-2 zone he would roll out there, man. You're throwing out a 3-2, you're throwing out a 1-2-2, right, a 2-3. Like, he would switch up the zone defense. He's so good with that. Uh, and we've kind of seen the same basic zone defense from the Miami Heat, and I wonder if that's part of that, right? If he's just like, I don't want to roll this out there too much. But I would say, Spo, like the numbers show you, like they still haven't entirely figured this out yet, and you've gotten back into these games doing it. I would suspect that he learned the lesson, and we're going to see a lot more of that when it comes to what is going to be on Wednesday, right? Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. I don't think that Boston has figured out the zone, by the way. Yeah. I, I really don't. Uh Going back to, to our point is that these guys want to play ISO ball, Boston. They create their own shots, and this zone is giving them a lot of problems because you can see it. Jalen Brown goes to the corner. Tatum goes to the corner. All right, give Kemba the ball. Let him have, a, you know, let him have this possession. Dribble yep. drive, nothing there, right, and turnover. I, I think that it is going to continue to give them problems, and if Spolstra can actually play this zone for the majority of the game, I think Miami will probably win on Tuesday. But the reason I bet Boston prior to the series was because I just made the I just thought it was a good number on a series price for Boston, considering all the things that we talked about. 
I, I didn't make this number 125. I made it Boston minus 150, minus 155. So I just thought from a value standpoint, I was almost forced to bet it, even though all year long I've been saying Boston's just not that great of a basketball team. Like they have a lot of playmakers, but this, this home, this, this bias and all these, the general public saying that Boston's so good, Boston, they're not so good. I just saw, I just saw value in the number and that's kind of why I bet it. And I'm hoping that they pull through, but hope, you know, obviously if they don't, uh, you got 80 to one. So it'd be good, good opportunity to hedge, especially if Den. I think you have a ticket on Denver, right? I have them at 12 to one to win the Western conference. So that, okay. that's not really going to do too much and a little difficult to, I mean, I did get a little off of it, but not too much considering the prices you're laying, you know, before the series with the, with the Los Angeles Lakers. All right. Any, uh, before I let you go, any, uh, any look ahead to maybe week three, any lines? Have you looked at anything yet? Any games that you like circled on the board or, you know, anything in particular you want to give the audience? Uh, and not necessarily, you know, I'm really interested in the, the number moved in that direction. So, uh, it, I'll see if it comes back below that seven, but you know, I'm uh, kind of what we were talking about, right. With my stubbornness with Denver at the beginning of the series, um, I was so far I'm 0-2 in betting on the Cleveland Browns, but I, I'm I'm seeing a little bit of what I was looking for before the season. Me too, by the way. Right, yeah. And, and maybe <laughs> you were thinking the same thing because, look, that offensive line's extremely good. Yeah, I, Baker Mayfield has barely had a finger laid on him through two games. Uh, the run blocking really came around in the second game. And when with the run blocking and the, the running game came a lot of that play-action offense we were kind of really hoping to see under Stefanski. Uh, and Baker Mayfield looked very comfortable doing it. He had that boneheaded pick when they were putting the foot on the throat, right, which he should not have done. Uh, but he was also escaping a free rusher and maybe took his eyes off the guy momentarily. But other than that, you know, so I bet on Cleveland through two games and uh, obviously it hasn't worked out, gotten the best number in each, right? Took eight and a half with them in week one, they laid five and a half in week two. Uh, but ultimately, like, I'm a little stubborn with what I'm seeing from them. And then this team in Washington where last week you're averaging in the range of 3.7 yards per play, right? right? Just under five in week one, despite getting the win over the Philadelphia Eagles, their offense is still not good at all. And I think they have the offensive line Cleveland to handle a pass rush like they see right now in Washington. And so if this, uh, I'm hoping this number gets again below seven, but you can also include it on a teaser, right? And tease it through seven and, and three. But I, I do think Cleveland, I'm going to be a little stubborn on them early because I still think that they're a better team than the market really thinks that they might be here. And we're, we've seen little flashes of them, especially in that week two matchup against Cincinnati. Hopefully I don't fall into losing a lot of money on the Browns this year because I had the same thoughts as you did last year. Yeah. And I wasn't super profitable with the Browns to say the least when it came to, to betting them because I I actually also thought that the general public hadn't caught up to maybe how good they could be. So maybe this is the year it turns around and hopefully we see some better results. Uh, Jonathan Von Tobel, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Uh, at me, JVT is up on Twitter. JVT in the house. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, you can find me as always on Twitter. I'm at Iris Silver Magic. Uh, Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. I appreciate the time soon. Thank you very much. Absolutely. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.